0: I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about stages and shapes of tyranny, tyranny, media, speech, banks and schools, COVID budget busters, and the Texas storm, climate change, and American goodness. Of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. I am Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk? is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk? is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk? To today's first five, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I called this first segment, and I really want to dedicate all of today's show to talking about the idea of what should Americans consider to be tyranny, and are we seeing tyranny right now? And I called it this first little segment to introduce the idea of stages and shapes of tyranny. And everyone recognizes tyranny when we read about in history books, we read about things that happened in countries as, you know, the Nazis took over and they began doing horrible things. They began requiring Jewish citizens to wear the gold star and then moving them around, only allowing them to live certain areas. We all know the whole story of the Holocaust. But the tyranny was very physical and the people could see it. They could see what was happening. And these kinds of things of tyranny have happened in other, not, not just, Nazi, just Nazi Germany, but of course, you know, other times that communists have taken over rule of countries. You see tyranny today, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, China, anywhere the government has absolute authority, and they do not honor the simple idea of the right of the individual to live in freedom the whole premise of societies where tyranny is rampant is the idea that the government simply has not only the right, but the obligation to control all of society. And the tyranny then when people step out of line, they don't wanna comply with whatever it is, then the wrath of the government comes down on you. They have family members disappear during the night. All those things we read about in countries. And we always think in America, is so great because America has so many Built in protections that those kinds of things won't happen here. We have the Constitution. We have rights guaranteed in the Constitution, spelled out. We talked about them many times on my show. You know, the First Amendment, especially the right of freedom, the freedom of speech and assembly and worship, and all of these rights guaranteed to us. The Second Amendment, all of the rights, the premise of America's founding was we have these rights and the existence of government, the purpose of government is to protect us and to protect those rights. This is novel in all of world history in creating a country based on those ideas and it's still novel today. But we often don't recognize tyranny or we don't like it called that Because we don't have people knocking on people's doors in the middle of the night and yanking people out of their homes and having them disappear for years on end. We don't have, we're not rounding up the people of various uh, race or or ethnic groups and doing things to them. We We just don't have that here. But what's happening in America today, and I talked about this long before the election results of November 2020, is the growing mindset of leftism in this country, the American, and I, you can't even call today's left-wing party the Democrat Party. They have embraced a Marxist, control, government-controlled, oriented thought about what America is, what their role is in government, what the right of the government is. The government is not there in the minds of the Democrat Marxist Party of today. Government's not there to protect your rights. The government is there to control the people, to make decisions for them, to force them to do what the government wants them to do. Part of tyrannical control in countries around the world is to silence opposition. Is to say through some policy, some procedure, something they set up, you're simply going to disable the ability of your political opponents to get traction, to talk to each other, to meet together, to discuss their ideas. This idea of silencing political opposition and ultimately putting the fear into the hearts and minds of citizens that they may end up being targeted, arrested, harassed, in some other way harassed by the government because of their political views. This is a, a, you know, tyranny tactics 101 methodology is to begin to have the people in a country think we're not allowed to say what we really think. We're not allowed to talk about these topics. We're not allowed to pursue this issue. We're not allowed to say this. We're not allowed to think this. It is a a hallmark of tyranny when the government begins to take control of information people have access to, of what they can read about, what they can talk about, whether they can gather and talk about it, whether they can form organizations around ideas. America has been an extraordinary experiment in human liberty from its founding because of our commitment, our absolute commitment to the right of the individual to live in freedom. And I am doing the show today to talk with you about the idea of just what a dangerous place America is today in 2021, as we look forward to four years of a Biden administration and at least two years of the Democrat Marxist party controlling the House and the Senate. And the reason I'm saying this is I want to alert people now to recognize how far we've come already in submitting to tyranny and to, and to agreeing with ourselves. And not, this is not just tyranny about surrendering to the government's rules about COVID. I mean, that is a problem. The idea of how much we listen to the government and allow the government to control our freedom and our movements and our businesses and our our lives under COVID is much deeper and much bigger than that. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'll close out the first five. I wanted to mention this person named Naomi Wolf. And um, I meant to send Matt the wonderful picture of her, but she was a, um, I, I didn't get around to that, but she was a Clinton era. Administration advisor Naomi Wolf, Doctor Naomi Wolf. She also worked with Al Gore. She's a very, very pretty woman, and she's a doctor of I don't know what. She has a doctorate. Her name is Naomi Wolf, and she had written a book several years ago, talking about basically where America is and the scope of tyranny. Where are we? You know, and and she so she has through through time, um, and her political commentary continues. She has continued to define what she has called the 10 steps to fascism. And these 10 steps to fascism, as she spells them out, she's talked about things, this Naomi Wolf talked about things that are, you know, she's a leftist for sure. I mean, she's a Clinton era, Al Gore supporting leftist. She wasn't wild about the Obama administration, but she was very much involved in the leftist mindset under Clinton. And um, and so I want to just, and Al Gore, so what she says, be really clear, this is someone I would never agree with. What she lists out, when she starts her 10, her description of 10 steps to fascism, and she runs through, she, you know, you can read her book if you want to, but she runs through what she's calling the way societies can shift away from freedom and end up in fascism. And she, so she describes what she sees, you know, step one uh, is invoking a terrifying internal external enemy. Well, she says, you know, ISIS was a real enemy, so it was okay to talk about them. But before I go through these, I'll say her point in all of the other first nine, as she's talking today about her 10 steps of fascism, she's taking examples of things that occurred under the Trump administration, and she's identifying those as being along the path to fascism. And I... I'm not saying this or raising this with you because I agree with her. She's completely off base, lunatic level silly in her assessment of these steps to fascism. Like she takes in the argument that Trump supposedly said great people on both sides in talking about the battle about whether or not to remove statues of Civil War um, leaders, uh, the Southern Civil War leaders. She, and then she used springboards from that lie and says, and therefore, you know, this is how it fits in. So she has 10 steps to fascism. I disagree with her assessment across the board. Her thinking is right that the conduct that she is identifying as steps toward fascism, they're correct concepts, but her application is this left-wing worldview that is disconnected from reality. But the reason I'm raising her today in the first five and in this discussion about tyranny today is that her 10th element, her 10th, the step to fascism, the final step, she is saying, We are there as Americans and her criticism, her example of why we're at this 10th step toward fascism that she wrote about, you know, I think she wrote the book 20 years ago or something, but step 10 is subvert the rule of law and replace it with martial or or military law. So her 10 steps of fascism, 10th one, she says is subvert the rule of law, replace it with martial or or military law. But then she's saying, and we're there. We are there right now. America's there. And what she's talking about is the government's policies, draconian policies under COVID. Much as she's a leftist and she has all sorts of, I'm telling you, lunatic, in my view, lunatic level assessment of incidents in American history that she's tying to her 10 steps to fascism. But she is now saying, actually, the 10th step, this whole actually you know, subverting the rule of law, bringing in military control, we're there. And she's pointing a finger at the policies that we have in America accepted and put in, put in place and accepted and pretty much submitted to under COVID. So she's a, um, I mean, she's an interesting character. And I'll wrap up the first five by saying, I think it's a little bit of a, a, a potential eye-opening thing for Americans who are leftists, who kind of love Obama and love Clinton, love Gore, love all those people, to hear someone who they would hold in high regard, this Naomi Wolf, they would think she's really, she's quite a thinker. I mean, she's an intellect, you know. But as I say, she's so left-wing, and that what she writes now about what constitutes steps towards fascism, are just disconnected from reality. She accepts false premises false, that she accepts the left-wing worldview, left-wing presentation of facts, and then fits them into her fascism list. But even Naomi Wolf is telling America's leftists and everybody else who will listen that we are approaching the the final, the 10th step toward fascism. In fact, she's saying we're here. It's time for the American people to stand up and recognize we're going to be facing tyranny. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. I want to talk about examples when I say tyranny, media, speech, banks, and schools. I actually should have added another one. Media, speech, banks, and schools, and elections. And I'm going to start with the election piece. And when I say tyranny, you know, I did the introduction to try to talk about the idea, this is not the kind of tyranny with your Nazis knocking your door down or the governor, governments of any Marxist, socialist, communist country that are endlessly repressing their people, that are endlessly dictating the personal, what, the, the lives of the people that are limiting them and their personal freedom and, and across the board and their speech and their religion and their work and their education, everything about the lives of individuals is ultimately controlled by government when you live under Marxism, socialism, communism. It is essentially always tyranny. America is supposed to be different from that because we have these rights in the Constitution and we have the premise of uh, ordered society, limited government, and the premise that came from the very founding of America, the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal and endowed by our creator, with inalienable rights, including life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and we have those rights because we were born. Not because we belong to any political class, not because our grandfather was somebody wealthy, not because of skin color, race, ethnicity, national origin, but because we exist. Because we were born, we're a child of God, we have these rights inherently. And that's a big difference in all the rest of the world. But I wanna talk about where we are already on the road to tyranny in America under what has now become the Democrat Marxist Party. The Democrat Party today is not your grandfather's Democrat Party. It, they have wholeheartedly embraced socialism and Marxism and, and their policies embrace these ideas or policies are based on these ideas. I often say it's one of the few good things I can say about Bernie Sanders. At least he's an honest communist. He just tells you who he is. I mean, Democrat socialist is a nice, you know, he thinks it's a milder term. The guy's a communist and the policies he proposes are communist, but at least he's honest. The Democrat Party has tried to play the line for the American people. Yeah, we got Bernie Sanders over there, and AOC, but, you know, they're not really running things and they're kind of extreme. You know, we're, we're on the American playing field. And as I've been saying for years now, the Democrat Party is not on the American playing field, but it's getting serious in our country because we now have complete Democrat Marxist control over the entire federal government. I want to give you numerous examples of why I say that. This is tyranny in our faces. To start with, we have, I mentioned in fact when, I guess that was Tuesday, when Bob McEwen joined us in studio, he's based in Washington, I don't know, actually he's based several places I guess, Washington, Florida, but he is a uh, profound thinker, a, a renowned public speaker. I was so grateful. I knew he was going to be in Dallas for a meeting that evening when I got him to come in the studio. One thing we talked about that day was the H.R. 1 bill, which is pending in Congress. H.R. 1 relates to legislation in which the federal government is proposing to take over the entire election system of America. The Constitution says that state legislatures make laws relating to the elections in their respective states. That's not the exact language, but the Constitution, clear as a bell, says state legislatures do this. Congress is using, the Democrat controlled Congress is using the the false premise of the 14th Amendment and the need to protect against possible discrimination. This is the constitutional basis for what they're why they say they, they claim they have the right to do this, to completely take over every single election in America. To pass a federal law that will mandate to the states every possible, anything you know about that is election integrity, that is a statute or a practice in states that preserves election integrity. All of that wiped off the table, all of it gone. The federal government is trying to move forward to say, we're going to completely destroy election integrity. No states may pass election integrity laws and in their place. The federal government runs it all, runs it all, rigging the rules, uh, taxpayer dollars. I, I could run through a whole host of the examples of the kind of things in this legislation. But you know, we talked about in the show many times in California, how they just have a a, a ballot harvesting frenzy every election. They have ballot harvesting that permits people to show up at a nursing home and come back with a handful of ballots. and, And they all get counted. There's no figuring out who cast these ballots. Who is this person who brought in 27 ballots? I mean, it is a free for all for cheaters in California this federal law would make that the practice the required would mandate that be the practice in every state so you have ballot harvesting extravaganza you have requiring states to permit same-day registration and voting so no way till much later say hey wait a minute you know you registered to vote but you're a citizen of venezuela what are you doing here elections long over so is, it is setting up elections to mandate that illegal aliens and others with no legal right to vote will get to vote. So it's getting rid of voter ID. No voter ID. That's uh, voter ID. That's considered racist. They have same-day voting. They have a very extended period for early voting, which is, as we discovered in the 2020 election cycle, the playground for election fraud. I could go on and on, but I don't want to dwell on this this one particular aspect too long. But HR1 needs to be seen by Americans as an aspect of the tyranny that has now taken over our country. This is absolute eviter- evisceration evisceration, of fair elections. It is a permanent Democrat majority election law that will never, ever allow the victory of Republicans in elections again. It is that onerous, it's that extreme. And as I use the word when Bob uh, McEwen was here, it is that audacious. It is audacious beyond description. Second example, uh, and I'm gonna run through all these media, speech, banks, and schools. And so speaking of audacity or brazenness, absolute brazenness, two Democrat members of the U.S. Congress wrote a letter this week to the chief executive officers of the country's largest television producers. So they're writing to television producers, bullying them, trying to tell them they need to purge Fox News, Newsmax, and OAN, a One America News Network, OANN. These are not like some slimy goofball, you know, Occupy Wall Street ignoramuses, you know, hanging out in street corners. This is two members of the United States Congress the audacity. They're saying that the conservative message actually has outlets in which the American people get to hear the conservative message, and they are saying they are so, it is, there's nothing short of tyrannical. There's there's no word good enough. Tyrannical. They're deciding, because they have power, they're going to try to shut down the very few remaining networks that any conservative wants to listen to, that any conservative has a possibility of getting their voice out on. They are saying, they're trying to arm twist these, uh, the um, television producers, the chief executive officers of our, our nation's largest telev- television producers, and telling them, you got to get rid of this. Just, these people are out. They cannot be allowed. They're demanding the providers explain the steps they took following November 3rd. They, they are just They're on a mission to say, and this is elected Democrats saying, you need television producers, you can just shut down these conservative, uh, conservative source of news. Can't be allowed to have them. Audacious on its face. Almost uh, almost unbelievable. I mean, if someone had told you, I mean, let me say it the opposite way. When Republicans had the majority in 2017, we had the White House, the Senate and the House were all Republican controlled. It would be like the Republicans introducing a bill saying, we demand, or pushing through a process, through letters, we demand that CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, NBC, all of the left-wing media be shut down. That That is the equivalent. And of course, the left always uses the excuse... It's not because we're trying to silence, you know, our political opponents. It's because they put out misinformation. They put things out there that aren't true and that people believe this misinformation. So to leftists, misinformation is anything they don't want you to know, anything they are disputing. So people want to talk about issues like election integrity and that this is one of the things that they're saying, no, 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 can't have that conversation happening. Shut them down. I also want to, to another aspect, another way that they are doing this, which I I find simply mind-blowing, the Democrats are trying to push in Washington, they they are trying to reinstate a policy under the Obama era called Operation Choke Point that relates to banks. So back in the Obama era, and I think before many people were awake to recognizing what a radical Marxist he is, was and is, the uh, the Obama administration, in an effort to punish the officials they didn't like, punish the organizations that oppo- that they oppose, like the NRA, uh, organizations that oppose any- that the- that anyone on the left doesn't like. The Obama team. Put in place again under the guise of this is for safety. This is to help the American people. This is to make the American people feel safe. This is why it's okay. It's okay to do this. We're not doing this to fight our political enemies. We're doing this because everyone should want the NRA shut down. We're trying to protect the American people. So they put in place something called Operation Checkpoint. Was it Chokepoint. Chokepoint. Choke Point? Choke Point. C H O K E Choke Point. With the idea they're telling these banks that they want the banks to stop doing business with organizations the left doesn't like. And again, they were gun sellers, pawn shops, short-term money lenders, blatantly unconstitutional, blatantly outrageous, an absolute, without question, effort of the Obama team to use their power, because they have it. Leftists will always use the power they have to tell banks that they need to not permit the NRA, gun sellers, pawn shops, to be able to use the bank services. So you can't have banking. If you can't have banking, you can barely have an entity. So Choke Point put in place by uh, Obama years ago, Trump administration came along and said, wait a minute, this is not constitutional. Note, the Trump administration did not grab onto the rule, the Operation Choke Point rule, and apply it to their political enemies They did the right thing, the highest thing, the the American idea. The Trump team said, we're not going to do this. You can't do this. And they actually got rid of the rule. And then they, toward the end of his term, the officer of the comptroller, the currency, established the fair access rule about banks, basically saying you can't be telling, government can't be telling banks who gets to have an account, who gets to do banking services. So Trump team fixes it puts it back on track in the American playing field. And now the Biden team, on January 28th, I think it was, yeah, the office of the comptroller announced that they are pausing the Trump-era rule, the Trump-era rule, the fair access rule, and they're reconsidering Operation Chokepoint. And I want to mention something else about how tyrannical this is. The left always uses the argument that, we're not fighting our enemies. We're trying to keep the American people safe. Everyone knows we have too many guns in this country. Everyone knows gun sellers are a problem. Everyone knows pawn shops do bad things. So they don't they, they get an argument out to the American people that sounds like it, they're doing some policy because they're trying to keep things safe, trying to keep things fair. And they get leftists in this country who don't think very deeply about what will happen to our country, To hear things like this and not get offended i mean their concept is well the american people will hear this you think some people would say hey wait a minute you can't just you know cut out banking for gun shops but you get a lot of people saying well you know that's probably a good idea I i don't like gun shops i wouldn't go to a gun shop why should gun shops get to be able to use banks they get unthinking american people behind their onerous treasonous tyrannical policies by convincing them that they're actually on the right side of some issue. And so you have people in America who'd probably say, well, I don't really care if the banks won't let the NRA have an account. You could actually probably get some significant chunk of Americans saying that because they aren't thinking deeply enough about freedom in America. Um, Another thing I was going to mention, we've talked about in the show before, but I'll briefly mention it again, So the Biden administration is talking about revising the domestic terror definitions, the domestic terror definitions and regulations to include people who challenge the election outcome of 2020, who speak and say, I think I have a problem with election 2020. That is supposed to be, that is something that the Biden administration is pushing, which is clearly saying, we're gonna fight our political enemies. You're gonna get told, you can't say anything we don't like. We're gonna shut you down from even conversing about whether there was election fraud in 2020, what was the real outcome, what happened. This is the left saying, because we have the power, we will. We're gonna call people challenging election 2020 domestic terrorists. Another example in this segment kind of running through, and the, there are many, many more, but kind of running through the idea of the, what we're seeing is blatant, unabashed, brazen tyranny coming out of the federal government. And this one has to do, the government hasn't done it yet, but where they're headed in having their, um, their um, the left in America so emboldened, they're headed down these kind of paths. So a group of LGBTQ advocates, Not just one group, but many organizations who support the LGBTQ agenda got together and they are pressing Congress. A series of LGBT groups are pressing Congress, long as the Democrat Marxists are in control, to take away the accreditation of any public or private or religious school that teaches traditional marriage as marriage. That does not fully embrace the LGBTQ agenda with respect to marriage, with respect to gender identity, with respect to, to transgenderism. This group is looking saying, hey, now's our time. Let's use our power, our leftist Marxist power in Washington to bring about the losing accreditation for any school who may, for example, stand on biblical principles and say that marriage is between a man and a woman it's not enough. It's not that they're saying we want to make sure schools acknowledge that not everyone you know, embraces the Judeo-Christian teaching about marriage. They're not just saying we want to be sure that you know, children learn something about the LGBTQ agenda or the LGBTQ lifestyle or children are taught. You know, they're not pushing to include more things being taught in schools. They're pushing they're pushing to tell America and America's teachers and America's school children and America's parents, nobody, nobody gets to teach traditional American values about marriage. They must be banned or you lose your accreditation as a school. Now this has not happened yet, this is just an agenda item, but it gets to this point, I'm talking about tyranny today. The idea of tyranny, just the other side, has no voice, has no right to speak, has no legal recourse to do anything. This is where we're headed in America today. And this is why it's so dangerous that we had the Biden administration sworn in in January of this year, 2021, and why we have absolute control of the federal government being held by the Democrat Marxist left. Because if they have their way in two years, We'll have no more free and fair elections again. We'll have HR1 meaning the federal government controls every aspect of elections. We'll have schools shut down because if you're not accredited, people don't wanna send their kids there because the kid's gonna finish school. They can't get into the college they wanna go to. Accreditation allows students to move forward in life after school. So school accreditation matters to them. So you have schools being told, you know what, Easier to surrender, fine. What do they want us to teach? Whatever they say is fine with us. It is the bullying of the left is simply mind-blowing in elections, in schools, in the media. The left emboldened to be trying to tell America which news outlets are allowed to be run, allowed to be aired, allowed to be heard. And folks, nothing that I'm telling you is being done under the radar. I mean, the level of emboldenment, I don't know if that's really a word, but it should be, emboldenment, that they are emboldened by the stridency of the left, by the determination to get everything done they can through legislation, through regulation, through just any means possible, through getting court decisions to permanently seal the leftist. Takeover of America so that no Republican will ever be elected again to anything, to any uh, of any prominence. No conservative value can be voiced in public. No conservative values can be taught to children. This is a pure evisceration of the culture of America. I could go on for the rest of the week about this, but I'm getting at the point today to wrap up this segment. This is tyranny on steroids, right in front of our faces. And I always tell you, and I will continue to tell you, I will never give up on America. There are things you can be doing. Every time you communicate with your member of Congress, your two US senators, your state rep, your state senator, your governor, your mayor, speaking up, talking not just about the policy you don't like, the vote you hope they will cast or the vote you're asking them not to cast, but also the larger message encouraging more people to wake up and recognize America the free is under direct profound assault and every patriot, every lover of freedom better be on board fighting. Two more quick topics today, the COVID budget. I started to mention when um, we had Bob McKeown on the show, Uh, two days ago, I started to mention about the COVID budget busters and there was so much there and we were near the end of the show and then he chimed in with something. So anyway, I just want to hit some numbers. I meant to have a slide ready for you. I meant to have it because it's easier to follow these things in a slide. I may create the slide and put it up later at our website, but I'm just going to tell you a couple things. So this is the COVID bill to help people who are suffering because the businesses have been shut down. The COVID bill is supposed to be to help Americans, um, suffering under COVID, uh, lockdowns, as you recall, President Trump, happy to negotiate, offered work with Nancy Pelosi to get something done on that, and she would not play ball. She knew that she had a golden opportunity for legislation that had to be passed, and she was going to wait and hope that she had a Democrat majority in the House and the Senate and a Democrat in the White House, and she was gonna push through the most massive spending bill, comprehensible. It isn't comprehensible, it's so huge. The most massive spending bill, and she had to have something that made it okay for her to do that. So she held off, would not send the COVID relief she could have sent, waited till now, and she, Pelosi, and Schumer have cooked up a deal almost beyond description. But I'll tell you, quick, so it's 1.9 trillion. trillion with a T, can't even comprehend that number, is the COVID relief bill. Leaving aside, I mentioned, I think earlier today or yesterday, there's still $1 trillion previously authorized for COVID relief and not spent. We still could use all that money, but no, you have Nancy Pelosi and her Democrat majority. They have a bill, 1.9 trillion. And I wanna make something really clear about this of this 1.9 trillion only 825 billion 825 billion is actually related to covid relief all the rest of this is the Democrats spending wish list the wild out of control spending and you have to believe many conservatives in washington are trying to challenge it many are trying to figure out how to challenge it i believe this will go to the floor tomorrow to be voted upon, and obviously with a slim majority the House of the Democrats have in the House and the Senate, maybe you pick off a few people, but this is a catastrophic, you know, uh, you can't even find ad- adequate adjectives. And I love words. I love thinking about adjectives that, that are fitting. You can't even find that to fit what this bill is. So understand, first of all, so out of basically $2 trillion, you know, it's 1.9, basically $2 trillion dollars only 825 billion is actually related to COVID relief. I'll tell you some of the other gems that are in there. Um, I mentioned yesterday or Tuesday, a billion dollars in payments to socially disadvantaged farmers, half a billion dollars to art museums, tens of millions to Planned Parenthood, other abortion providers, 100 million for an underground rail system in San Jose, California, that won't be finished till 2030, but hey, I mean, the number, I want to run through some of these others because you just have to realize how preposterous this bill is. I mean, it's just, it's funny money. They can print the money. They can claim they have it, but pretty soon at some point, you know, the the, uh, chickens will come home to roost. There won't be the money to pay for this. It's just funny money. They could be playing with monopoly money. It's that absurd. Here are some other ones. $1.5 million earmarked for the Seaway International Bridge to connect New York and Canada. Senator Schumer, big advocate of this, you know, he's all thrilled about that. $50 million for family planning, which simply means uh, Planned Parenthood uh, and other similar organizations. $825 for AmeriCorps, AmeriCorps VISTA, National Senior Service, uh, you know, things like that. Um, It does give, out of all that money, $473 billion is actually going to account for the money going to individuals out of $2 trillion, $2 trillion. $473 $473 billion goes to actual payments to people well, because of losses due to COVID, $825 billion total to COVID-related things. Um, $200 million to the Institute of Museum and Library Services, $270 million, $270 million for the National Endowment of the Arts and Humanities, which should be eliminated, in my opinion. And this is a key one. I could read, I could go on the rest of the show. I want to read you one more. $350 billion. 350 billion to bail out the 50 states and the District of Columbia. You might say, "Okay, well, at least that's you know because everyone suffered under COVID. This lease least is going to everybody." But it is among the most onerous provisions of all of this, because it's rewarding the blue state governors and the blue state mayors and other leaders who shut their states down unnecessarily in a draconian fashion extended shutdowns unnecessarily. So they lost more money because more people were unemployed and had to seek unemployment, had to seek help. So essentially the red states are covering for the blue states. The red states that opened up sooner. They had people back at work that didn't have the draconian shutdowns. We're covering for, we are, I'm from Texas, the red states are covering for the blue states. So uh, just as a quick example, the allocation formula, so it isn't like $350 billion divided among 50 states and the District of Columbia equally by population or something. It's not like that. The formula involves the unemployment rate. The unemployment rate in the fourth quarter of 2020. So states that shut down and stay shut down, like New York, California, that strict economic lockdown policy is high unemployment, employment. They get the bail money. States like Florida, South Dakota, the state open for business, they'll get less. This also, in this COVID relief bill, $128.5 billion to fund K-12 education, $86 billion to save pension funds. I, I mean, it goes on and on. And you know, I, I went through this story when we had Bob McEwen here on Tuesday. And I, I could continue reading all sorts of examples of the money, but... The reason I want to raise it and the reason I care about it so much is because I think it's important to understand this is the go-to thing to do when Democrats get power. They find their Christmas tree, their wish list of everything they've ever wanted money for. They realize the Republicans cannot stop them and they're going to fund every pet project Everything, all of the rewards to Democrats from various states, senators, members of Congress, where they need certain things in their district—need isn't the right word—they want things in their district. They wish they could afford. There is nothing off the table. You have to grasp this. Nothing's off the table. They, the free money company, you know, the the, the money, the endless money printing in Washington. So these people sit around in Washington and say, well, all the money in the world, who knew? Let's just put everything in here, everything we can conceive of, and that is the way they do budgeting. Now I'm not bragging about the Republican party either, to be really clear. Republicans spend too much. Most people in Washington vote to spend too much because it's right in front of them. They have an obvious campaign issue. and can go back and say, hey, citizens of you know my state, my city, look what I voted for. Look at this beautiful new park you have. Look at this new bridge you have. Something concrete. So I'm not saying that the Republicans are completely innocent, but it's a question of scope, magnitude, and mission that differentiates what the Democrats do when they have power and what the Republicans do. They might put a few more dollars fortunately for america toward the military for military spending for salaries for the military to building up military equipment and supplies they also do the things like the you know bridge to nowhere kind of stuff too i'm not saying they're totally innocent but this is a gag level injustice to the next generation or whatever generation finally has to pay this off plus it tells you how what democrats think their job is their job is to be Santa Claus for every single wish list item that's ever been out there. Their job is to keep the voters happy because they think they get votes and they do get votes, but they think they get votes by funding things that we cannot afford, that we do not need, that we could we we have we don't even have anything close to money to cover in the budget. It is it is a it is I mean, I run out of words. It is so ridiculous, so over the top. And yet you have the Democrats doing this. I don't know what's going to happen on Friday. Uh, There are some people pushing back on some elements of it. But the whole point of the Democrat mission is to get this passed without any possible ability of the Republicans to interfere with this gluttonous, wasteful, outrageous bill again they do it because they can and they do it because they think they're buying votes and sadly in america to some for some americans they are right they are buying votes they're buying future support and in a time when the american people have been out of work due to extraordinarily excessive and draconian government regulation keeping people home when they didn't need to be home keeping people out of work when they didn't need to be out of work, you know, flattening the airline, flattening travel, controlling the airlines, all of that, the people have been suffering for the last year. And the the Democrat majority answer in Washington is a pittance, relatively speaking, a pittance for the people and massive bloated spending on pet projects for everyone on their side of the aisle atrocious, outrageous, you run out of words. And we'll watch this. I'll talk to you next week about what happens on Friday, but there is seemingly no one stopping this wild, you know, train out of control, barreling down the tracks, putting America over the cliff to economic ruin. No, no stopping apparently in sight, but we'll keep tabs on it. Okay. I do. Last segment is a very, very quick segment. I'm going to quickly tell you. So this is so amazing. So here we sit in Texas. If you paid attention to the news last week, you know, in Texas, we had a massive, we have actually had two or maybe three massive snowstorms. We had, you know, roads shut down, people lost power, 4 million or more Texans lost power. Many people lost water. People are still boiling water. We had, you know, it was a big mess. And I wanted to hit three points about this. First of all, it's beautiful here today. Texas is beautiful. It's almost like sunbathing weather. Not that I sunbathe, but people do. It's almost sunbathing weather. It is so nice. It's beautiful and sunny, kind of a normal Texas winter. So we all got through the storm. And I, I surely want to say thank you to everyone who helped America and uh, helped Texas. And many people did. I want to say thank you to all of them. Thank you for the generosity. I do want to talk uh, a little bit about the generosity thing. So Um, I grew up in a small town upstate New York and one of my friends, many of my friends were Italian. The town is largely Italian, very big Italian population. And so one of my friends was Italian. Her grandmother had this saying she would say to us, which was, you should do a good deed every day, but it doesn't count if you tell anyone. It doesn't count if you tell people. The point is be good because it's the right thing to do. Do something nice. Without telling people, it was I thought it was a great thing, and I actually remember that my whole life and thought about that. What, what? A, you know, it's a true test of you know doing your pure heart motive just to help people, not to get credit. So back to our Texas storm, uh, we did have. I want to first just commend the great goodness of the American people and the people of Texas. I mean to tell you everybody and their brother is doing everything they can think of. They are getting water bottles delivered. Companies are donating food, restaurants donating food, stores donating food and water for people who couldn't turn on their power, didn't have their stoves or ovens working. I mean, the generosity was just, a it could you know, bring tears to your eyes. Massive generosity everywhere you looked. You had people donating and you had donation centers overrun with donations. Uh, you had people, oh, people opening various big public buildings like my friend's church opened uh, and made themselves a warming center. And so if you didn't have heat, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't, you're worried about freezing. Uh, you could get to a warming center. They would take you in. They would provide food, a cot, water, you know, a restroom. I'm not sure about showers, but at least restrooms. And these warming centers opened up all over the state. The goodness the great goodness of the people of America and the people of Texas was evident on steroids last week. I mean, truly tear to your eyes, tears to your eyes level, kindness and generosity. There were people trying a lot to score political points about this generosity. I mean, the people who were, you know, out of state politicians showing up, doing selfies. Oh, look at me, I'm in Texas and look at me, I'm donating this water, aren't I a great person? That kind of stuff. And you know, I'm still grateful for the donations Food, water, bedding, blankets, whatever people needed. I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful more for the people who didn't have to tell you about it all the time and put pictures up of themselves bragging about how really extraordinarily generous they were. They just did the right thing. There are many ways to give. You could give online. If they'd say, if you can't, you know, bring water over, can you make a donation? You go to the grocery store and they had at the checkout, like they always have, you know, donate, you know, food to this, bag of food for here, or make a financial donation to the food banks or to the warming centers. I mean, all these people running businesses and private citizens, just enormous generosity. And that is the spirit of the American people. And I will say, I often talk about in this show, the great goodness of the, the founding ideas of America. And, and I, I mean this from the depth of my soul. America is the most extraordinary nation in the world. Extraordinary because of the founding ideas of America. And I talk about them on my show, the ideas of the Declaration, the Constitution, the whole idea the founders had of a nation honoring the freedom of the individual, the right of each person to live in freedom, and the goal of government to protect that freedom. But I want to connect that to the American goodness. The founding ideas of America, all of that inspiring people to be good, to pursue their dreams, to work hard, and the the Christian ethos, the Judeo-Christian ethos that says you love your neighbor as yourself. You love your enemies. You care for people. That ethos has pervaded America's culture since our founding and the goodness and the generosity of people in America. And I'm not saying there are generous people all over the world. There are kind and generous people in every country, kind and generous people uh, of every race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, who do wonderful things. This is not unique to America, but it's extraordinary in America. It's extraordinarily noticeable in America. The great goodness of generosity and kindness and caring. They had stories like people, somebody's delivery truck broke down in some street. And I don't know all the detail of it, but I know the people who were in the house there that happened to have power, or at least they had They had warmth because they had the fireplace on. They brought the driver in and said, hey, you can stay here if you want. Total stranger. Stayed for several days. You know, fed, cooked, you know, hung around, made friends, played games. You know, they they waited it out. The stories like that were abundant. And I'm just saying, I connect the founding ideas of America. The the broad founding Judeo-Christian foundation of America with the goodness you see. America's goodness and generosity is not happenstance. It is directly tied to the goodness of America. And one last thing I was going to say on this point, and then we'll wrap up, which has to do with climate change. And so you've seen, I'm sure, that AOC popped off saying that Texas had problems during this horrific, you know, once in a generation or not even that much storm because we don't embrace, you know, climate change, and we don't embrace sustainable energy. And I just want to put the lie to that. Texas is the hub, the center of energy production in America. Because of pressure from leftists and climate change, we had a policy in place that said, all power produced by solar power and by windmills, wind power, the energy grid, the Texas energy grid, has to buy that as soon as it's produced. So we have to buy that first to put it in the grid. And it's great. We, we have you know, 20% in good times, 20% of our, our energy is from sustainable sources. But because the obligations are to buy that first, other energy producers, more traditional energy producers, when summer is over, when we all need tons of energy because it's so hot here, those energy producers cut back. And so they didn't have sufficient energy ready to flood into the system as we had the winter storm hurt. And when the winter storm came along, the ice, the cold, the freezing temperatures, they froze up the windmills. So they're producing exactly zero. And they had a casing casing of ice, a covering, a, a crust of ice, on top of all of the solar panels. So the solar panels were not absorbing sunlight and they weren't producing anything so it failed texas was the renewable energy sources of wind and solar that was the failure they could not keep producing because of cold weather and the traditional energy producers could not had to ramp up to get to get ready to try to return power to texas That is a, an overly simplistic description, but all I want to say wrapping up today is this, the idea that AOC, the socialist Marxist communist goofball airhead says that the problem in Texas was that we didn't have enough reliable, sustainable energy. Oh, we had plenty. We do really well in Texas actually using wind, wind energy and solar energy. It's not that we didn't have enough of that. It's that we got pushed around by the energy climate alarmists to think, to have a policy that said all that had to be used first, and then we were, and there were other failings. I don't want to act like this was the whole problem, but to understand the level of pure felony level lunacy, felony level idiocy out of AOC and others saying somehow Texas would have been better off in this storm if we had more wind energy and solar energy, which both froze up and disappeared, is felony stupid, felony idiocy. And, I, and I, I do feel strongly about this because she is trying to score. Talk about someone not following my Italian grandmother's advice, you know, AOC, just out there, pictures of herself. Here I am raising money. And I, I appreciate she raised money. If she followed my Italian grandmother, my friends Italian grandmother advice, she would have raised money and shut her mouth. But she didn't. She raised money and went running to every conceivable news outlet. Say, look at me, look at me. I raised money to help Texas. And i like to slam them because this wouldn't have happened had they had more sustainable energy. Pure hogwash. Pure hogwash. The way Texas got through last week and what we will do going forward is because the great spirit of Texas and the people of America is full of love for their neighbor, care for their neighbor, looking out for their neighbor. This is what you saw all over the news in Texas last week was the goodness of the American people, the goodness of the people of Texas taking care of each other. And the idea that Texas, I mean we're going to have to make changes in policy, and everyone's already talking about who gets fired, and and all of the out-of-state board members of ERCOT have resigned. I get all that. We'll talk about that another day. I just want to talk about the spirit of Texas, the sp- spirit of America, the American goodness, and all the, that was seen as just a beautiful thing last week in Texas. I am grateful for everyone who donated things. I am grateful for people who opened their homes, grateful for people who donated money, time, energy, but I wish there was a lot more of the actual, you know, spirit of my friend's Italian grandmother who just said, you know, you help people and you don't tell anybody about it. Instead of virtue signaling their their largesse all over social media kind of detracts from the argument that they are actually really caring people. Some folks involved are caring only about advancing their political fortunes, and that is not at all an attractive thing. At the close of every show, I tell you about the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started today talking about stages and shapes of tyranny. Too many Americans believe tyranny only means troops at the door at midnight, and therefore anything less can be shrugged off. The right response to tyranny is hiding from it. Not openly challenging it. Oh, that was nothing. I was going to tell you about a friend who was saying we shouldn't really worry about this. All these uh, regulations involved with um, COVID. You know, just just have a secret gathering in your home. Make sure your, your your curtains are closed. And I was saying, no, not good enough. We're not going to cower in our homes. But tyranny creeps in through the promises of safety and security. Example number one: questioning election results is now being called white supremacy, and The fault of January 6th and domestic terrorism, justification for ending free speech. And many Americans seem to go along with this. Example number two, COVID police state enveloping the country, eviscerating freedoms, but justified for public safety. Ex-Clinton staffer Naomi Wolf says this is step 10 of 10 steps to fascism. By the time the troops are at the door at midnight, it's too late to resist tyranny. Americans need to wake up now, resist now. And we talked about tyranny, media, speech, banks, and elections. Democrat congressmen bully cable providers to drop Fox, OAN, and Newsmax after four years of Democrats questioning the 2016 election result. And it was four years of it. Democrats moving to make questioning the 2020 election result an act of domestic terrorism. Obama's Operation Choke Point, pressuring banks to stop working with businesses unfavored by leftists such as gun sellers, now being reviewed for reinstatement after Trump removed that rule and put in place that we have to have We don't discriminate. We don't encourage banks to discriminate based on whether we like their policies of their customers. H.R. 1 is the federalizing of elections and enabling a documented election fraud mechanism. A radical left government is doing radical left things. Do Americans vote for this? Did Americans vote for this? And on COVID Budget Busters, Wall Street Journal says 1 trillion out of 1.9 trillion COVID relief is not for COVID. A leftist wish list of progressive spending, bailing out blue states for extending lockdowns and higher unemployment, all dependent on Americans not knowing or not caring. Will they or won't they? I'm gonna say they will care. And last one, I believe we have one more, um, and that is the Texas storm, climate change, and American goodness. Texas weather has turned dramatically. Thankfully, spring warmth is everywhere. Windmills and solar power were obviously useless in a crisis of no wind or sun and frozen, covered with ice, but leftists want to double down on them? Ted Cruz and AOC are not the story. Ted Cruz, by the way, I could get off this another day. Ted Cruz did nothing wrong. I'm sorry to see he got pushed around by the left. But anyway, Ted Cruz and AOC are not the story. Remember the wisdom of my of the Italian grandmother, my friend's Italian grandmother, do the right thing, and it doesn't count if you tell anyone about it. Texans did the right thing for their fellow Texans, and that should be the story As I close out the show for this week, I want to remind you, number one, our website is americacanwetalk.org. You can go to that website. You can hit subscribe. You get the once a week newsletter. It comes out usually on Friday or for sure by Saturday or Sunday. Links to everything we did the previous week. So please go to America Can We Talk and subscribe. Number two, I'm going to ask Matt the Wonderful. If you can find that slide, Matt, that has the uh, the uh, text 53445 thing while I'm doing the next thing. So go to the website and subscribe. And number two, at the same website, you can hit the button that says Donate. This show is funded by viewers. It's listener-sponsored. So if you like the show, you want it to stay on air, which believe me, I don't ever want to stop talking about preserving America, I would really appreciate you consider financial donation. You hit the donate button on the website, you go to one time or a recurring donation truly helps out a great deal. Also we're starting in April of this year, starting the first Thursday of April. We're starting Thursdays, the members only, we're starting a membership thing. I saw a couple of emails asking me, where is it in your website? We'll have that up soon. We'll be all set to roll with it on our website. And it's a way, uh, it's a very inexpensive membership. It's $5 a month or $50 a year. And you can have the Thursday only show. It'll be only on the website, americacanwetalk.org. You can watch it on the website and the, it'll be a very different show on Thursdays. It'll be interactive. You'll be able to text in questions, email questions. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. America, can we talk? At gmail.com. Send any questions ahead of time. I'll quite often have a guest. I'll have Matt the wonderful in here with me. We're using a different studio too, but Matt will be here sometimes. And you can text in questions. And it's going to be more the Thursday shows me a conversation between me and my listeners. And so, looking over at this to stay in touch with America, can we talk during this time? In the two line, go to your text messaging on your cell phone. To stay in touch so you can text in questions too go to the two line enter five three four four five in the two line and put as your message america it comes right to me and we'll be off to the races being directly connected and i'll close out by saying I appreciate so much every one of you for listening to this show. I appreciate your listening, you're sharing it, you're telling your friends about it. This is, we are at a time, there's a tremendous need for patriots to be united, to be communicated, to communicating, to be listening to each other, to be part of the American political conversation about preserving America, the most extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk. It's a show I do to speak up for America, because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk? Truth about America.